When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. Welcome to the second episode. We made it to two. Uh, <laughs> Ron, roll. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, I stepped on your intro. That's uh, all right. And I'm Sam Abul Salmon. Uh, and so we got a little bit to talk about this episode. We've got two extremes of uh, modern technology. We got the Hyundai Ionic and uh, rumors of hybrid Ferraris. Wanted to talk about the possible revival of Cord. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Maybe just, touch you know. on uh, Peak Auto Industry as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so let's get to it. All right, let's do it. So what are you driving this week, Dan? Uh, this week in the garage, I've got a uh, Volvo XC60 T6 all-wheel drive. Um, and it's it's a very interesting contrast between that and last week I had the Mitsubishi Outlander. And so driving these two back to back made me think about honesty in a car. Like what, I'm not sure what that means anymore, really. Like, what does that mean to you? Um, to me, I guess it would mean, you know, that you look at a car and it, it, it gives you a certain impression of, of what it intends to be, you know, and then when you drive it, you know, there's, there's no pretense about it. It, it, it it drives the way you would expect from looking at it. So, you know, to me, I would look at an XC60 um, and I would think, okay, you know, this is, this is a Volvo, you know, it should be fairly solid and sturdy, you know, not, not you know, nothing wild, um, you know, not, you know, no crazy performance or anything like that. Um, probably no, you know, serious off-road capability, um, <laughs> you know, but it should be reasonably reliable and safe and, you know, kind of fuel efficient i mean is well the way it is well so my experience with volvos has been the reliability is not there you would know as someone who's owned right. them so uh neither is the fuel efficiency okay. um although this one's this one's actually pretty good and actually this because it's the t6 this has the two liter four-cylinder that's both turbocharged and supercharged it's got plenty of power also oh, is that the um, same engine that's in the xc90 as well Yes, um, three fifteen. I think. Yeah, three hundred and two, and then two hundred and ninety-five pound-feet of torque. So it's it's very very sprightly. It moves right along. It's very well matched in the XC60. Uh, it, you know, even better than the XC90. It has, you know, a little smaller vehicle to haul around. Um, but you know, the, stepping out of the Outlander into the Volvo, like I, I was just struck. Like, and I've said certain uncharitable things about the Outlander. Um, you know, it, it does feel a little cheap and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's also 
I guess I appreciate its its vehicular honesty in that sense. You know, it's just like, you know what you've got, you know what you're getting, you know what it's doing. It's not one of those cars that has so much technology that it fights you, like some of the Infinities where, you know, they'll actually try to change lanes back to where you were, like if you forget to signal or something or you drift a little bit. And like all of that stuff isn't really there in the in the Outlander, so it doesn't get in the way of driving. So that's a car you can actually just drive. Its ergonomics are pretty simple uh, and it still has some features. The Volvo seems like there's a little bit more of a layer of of artifice uh, between you and the act of driving. And some of it's good. Uh, you know, it has adaptive cruise control. It has all of the fancy, you know, uh, driver aids that help you from hitting stuff. Um, and it has, you know, decent controls. It's, it's okay in terms of ride and handling trade-off. It does, does pretty well, but it it just feels insulated. And like, I guess I'm more and more, I'm missing just an honest driving experience that, that makes you and lets you focus on just driving instead of like the the infotainment system. And although the Mitsubishi didn't have a very good infotainment system. So that was a little bit of a distraction, but I I don't know. So I'm, I'm going back and forth and like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm expressing myself all that well. Am I being clear? <laughs> Somewhat. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can, I, I definitely appreciate, you know, an honest car. And, you know, I think probably the single most honest car I've driven in recent times was uh, the Alpha 4C Spider that I had a month, about a month and a half ago. Uh, I mean, you know, that's about as honest a car as you're going to find in, in modern times. You know, there's no driver assist systems. You know, it's small, it's fast. Um, you know, there's no, you know, no, no real amenities to speak of, you know, it, it's, you know, it's just a pure sports car, uh, you know, with nothing else layered on top of it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that, that, I guess that would be the, the epitome of automotive honesty. Uh, you know, I haven't driven the XC60 yet. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I can't comment directly on that, although I, I've experienced that engine in the XC90 and, you know, I, seems like you know it should be a, a reasonably on you know true true to what you know what you expect a volvo to be i guess yeah it definitely does that like your your description of volvo was pretty spot on in terms of like yeah it's certainly solid you know it's got big wide sills that you step across uh for good side impact it's it, you know s- structure it's solid uh it's very comfortable um they have some challenges still with their ergonomics and their their user interface for the census system this doesn't have the big dash mounted ipad like screen that the xc90 has this has a system that's more it's a little older it's more like what you'll find in the s60 it's still because it has a limited feature set it's it's okay to use some of the stuff was a little bit head scratching like i could not turn off the um the the volvo calls it automatic bent or yeah, active bending lights. The you know the, oh, the, the headlights the, that turn the type the lights that turn into a curve as you're as yeah. in the wheel. Right. And so to me, like that's a distraction. That is like the car being obvious about like, hey, I'm being really helpful and I can see the beams move and it it just I tried to shut it off and leave the automatic high beams on. And you, you can't. You it, have to, it's like all or nothing. Is it that the the beams are moving farther than you expect them to, or you just don't like the beams moving at all? Well, I think part of it is I, I'm the type of person that just doesn't like automated machinery. I don't like stuff doing things for me. Okay. <laughs> um, and which is weird because, you know, there are certain things that I'll set up like in my, in my job as like a 
you know, audio mixer, I certainly set up like compressors with side chains and like to get real technical, like it's basically I set up automated processing. So it looks right, like, but, look at this the, signal and do this thing. There. I mean, you know, those are things that you're specifically setting up for your your needs, you know, your workflow for, for what you need to do to, um, you know, for, for things that you're going to do, you know, for repetitive tasks, you know, so you don't have to set it up every time, you know, it makes sense to do something like that. You know, you're using, you're using technology as a tool, whereas you right. know, when you're driving, you know, that's kind of something different, you know, especially if it's, you know, if, if it's not, if it's not consistent behavior. And I think that's one of the problems with a lot of the technology that we experience in cars is, kind of the lack of consistency um yeah it's it's yeah. not necessarily doing what you expect it to do at any given point in time um you know i mean back in in my engineering days i mean that was one of the things that we always tried to aim for you know developing stability control or slip control systems you know is that under under any given circumstance it should be absolutely you know the system should be totally predictable you know it should never surprise the driver when, yeah. on the yeah. road and so, I mean, I guess that's also part of it is I don't trust it. I don't, so I don't like seeding control to something that, and and I know, I know that it's, it's my hang up to a large degree. And at a certain point, the technology is going to be good enough. I mean, it's already really good enough that it can outperform me most of the time, um, especially in, in ideal conditions. Uh, the only place I really have an edge is actually, you know, in those, those conditions where there's too many variables to manage the chaos. Right. Um, but I still like the, and there is a hole in the beam pattern. You can manage multiple variables in chaos better than a computer can. Yeah. Well, I mean, until we program computers to adapt and handle it, like we'll get there and, and maybe, maybe I'll accept it. I, I don't like it at this point. Well, let, let, me ask, <laughs> and, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, we, we tend to drive cars for a week at a time, you know, and we jump from one brand of car to something completely different you know, and then the next week we get into something else entirely different. If you if you actually lived with this thing, you know, for a few months, you know, or even a few weeks, do you think it's something that you would get accustomed to? I mean, is it, or or would it just keep being an annoyance to you all the, you know, forever? Well, I mean, so the, like stuff like the 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 active bending lights, they would I would shut them off and they would stay off, uh, <laughs> so I'd never use it. So that's a feature I wouldn't pay for. Um, or I, you know, it would have to be bundled. It, it's probably one of those things that comes in the, the package that this has. So it has the platinum package, which uh, I think has some of that extra stuff. Uh, but some of the stuff I do use, like in our, in our Grand Cherokee, I like the automatic headlights. Um, they're pretty good. Most of the time, there are times where I have to override it because it's just like, it's in conditions where it's around a bend. It can't detect an, another oncoming car. And, and I, I know that, and I can anticipate, um, a lot of the like lane change stuff, my, my feeling is that like, that makes you a lazy driver. It it makes you rely on the technology. And even today I was using the adaptive cruise control in stop and go traffic in the Volvo because it's, it's pretty good in that situation and it's, it's fine tuned. So it'll follow the car in front of you. It's not too rough on the brakes. And it's the thing that was confusing. It was, there was a driver in front of me that was kind of halfway out of the lane. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure what was going on, but that confused the system where the sensor didn't detect them. Right. If, and so uh, if the radar has got a narrow field of view, you know, then if the, if the car in front of you moves over a bit too far, it might fall out of its field of view and, and then it thinks there's nothing there. 
Right. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, and so I mean, I saw it cause I was paying attention and, uh, just, you know, stepped on the brake, but I, I thought that was curious, like, huh, I, it, it can't detect. And, and you know, the backup there is that it does also have the forward collision system that would, it would have stopped itself at a certain point. I just didn't want to test it. Right. <laughs> um, you, you know, as a family crossover, luxury crossover, it's, the XC60 is is pretty good. You know, it's it's very comfortable. It's well thought out. The ergonomics are generally good. They're Volvo good. You know, it, it's it's pretty. Uh, if you like the way they look, it's, it's definitely, definitely conservative on the outside. The interior is is nice. Um, it's marginally, I think, on the. I guess it, you know what size wise, it's probably right in the middle of its class. Um, and you know, so you're paying a premium for something. You're gonna. You're going to get some more luxury. You're going to miss out on some of the size, I think. And that's that's sort of where I'm at. I'm not sure that I would spend $52,000 on it like its, uh, it's sticker says. Uh, just because I, I feel like it's not necessarily the roomiest choice. And when you're buying a vehicle like this, the passenger space actually plays a pretty big role. Um, but it's really hard to argue with the safety. I mean, the XC90... Uh, Volvo's first SUV, they designed that way back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That thing passed the small overlap test. It was one of the few vehicles that passed it without any any changes. So uh, it makes wow, me a pretty... Was, I mean, that was a, that was an old vehicle by the time they started yeah. doing those tests. Yeah, so it, I, I've been a long-time believer in Volvo's safety chops, and, and that kind of stuff would still... You know, I would consider this if I was in the market and I had the kind of dough that it would take to buy. Okay. Fair enough. So what have you been driving? So uh, the Pacifica went back uh, to to whence it came, and I've now got the Hyundai Elantra Eco, um, which is uh, the newest variant of the Elantra. Uh, got launched a few months back. Um, the, uh, the, the, new, the current generation Elantra debuted uh, about a year ago, and um, earlier this year I drove the limited version, which uh, was really impressive. That one had uh, a two-liter four-cylinder engine and had all the goodies in there, including all of the um, uh, driver assist stuff, the um, lane lane keeping system and adaptive cruise control and everything. Um, This one, on the other hand, is the Eco, and it has none of that stuff. Uh, It's it's actually pretty basic. Uh, It's got uh, Hyundai's new 1.4-liter turbo uh, with... I think about 128 horsepower, roughly. Um, you know, it's designed to be their fuel economy leader for now in the uh, 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 Elantra size in their in their compact cars. And uh, you know, because it's a, a direct injected turbo, it's actually got quite a bit of low end torque. And you know, despite its its size, you know, it doesn't have a lot of power, but it does have plenty of torque. So it's got good drivability, good all around drivability. And they, they pair it up with uh, their own in-house designed and built seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, which uh, when I first drove that one last year in the Sonata Eco, uh, you know, that was, you know, that's probably the best mainstream dual-clutch transmission I've tried from any manufacturer. I mean, it's the shifts are really smooth, uh, seamless. Uh, sometimes after a, a cold start, when it's been sitting overnight, um, just for like the first minute or so, it, for some reason it, it seems to get uh, just a little bit of hesitation, you know, on a launch on the first launch or two. But after that, once as soon as it warms up, it's fine. Um, you know, and so far I've been driving it mostly around town and getting about 33 miles per gallon with the thing. 
um, going uh, to an event tomorrow where I'll have a bit of a highway drive, and uh, it should it should easily get up to uh, over 40 miles per gallon on the highway. Um, so you know, the, and the thing about the Eco, um, as I said, you know, it doesn't have any of the the amenities in it. Uh, basically, you know, I mean, you, it's got heated seats, um, and it's got uh, a six-inch uh, touchscreen radio, and you know they all of uh, all of all the new Hyundai's and and Kias now have support for Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, so that's good. Um, but the, sounds like a nice, honest vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It, it's very honest, you know. And the thing about the Eco is, it's actually <laughs> amazingly enough for a, a brand new car. It rides on 15-inch alloy wheels. You know, when I first saw it, right. wow, those wheels look kind of small, but. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't. It didn't. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago that a 15-inch wheel was actually kind of big for a car of this of this size and this type. Yeah, you know, but yeah, yeah. These days, you know, when you got cars running around in 18s, 19s, and 20s, you know, a 15-inch wheel just seems puny. Um, and the, I guess the the one the one downside, you know, in the Elantra in general. I mean, when I drove the Limited before, it, it has it has quite good, surprisingly good driving dynamics. But this one, um, just because of the tires that are on it. Um, you know, it, it just, they kind of feel a little bit squirmy, you know, they don't have quite as much grip and responsiveness. Uh, so yeah. that's kind of, you know, what you give up, you know, to, to get the, the lower rolling resistance and, you know, better, a little bit, a couple extra miles per gallon of fuel economy. Um, but you know, I mean, this, this one, you know, is priced at, I think it was like 21 cents 20, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say it starts right at 20. Yeah. It's, um, it's I mean, this one was under $22,000, including delivery. Uh, that's I mean so that's I guess my question because I I haven't driven the Eco but I've driven the Elantra Limited and I thought that was a very good car oh, and yeah, you know Hyundai Hyundai's been learning really fast and yeah. uh, really improving their product is it still with all the with all that like near luxury stuff out of it is it still a very good car at its core it's yeah it's still a very good car at its core you know it, it's it just it feel the interior you know it's got cloth seats which are are very nicely done you know they look it looks really durable. Um, it, but it just, it feels a little more Spartan than the limited, you know, obviously. Um, and you know, some of the surfaces, you know, that were soft touch surfaces in the limited are harder plastics in this one, you know, it still looks good. I mean, when you look at it, it doesn't, it, I mean, as I said, it looks a little Spartan, but not cheap. Um, yeah. and you know, until you actually touch some of the surfaces, you don't, you don't even really realize that they're. They're harder plastics, but, you know, they're, they're also surfaces that you typically don't touch very often, like, you know, the top of the instrument cluster and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely something I could live with if I if I had to, you know, if I was looking for something with, you know, maximize the mileage in, in this kind of size class. Yeah, it's I mean, it's and it's interesting, you know, we've got a lot of these cars now that are more car than you need. Um, and we're, we're still not buying them like this, this segment, uh, uh, this segment does okay, but really, you know, everybody's making this rush to, to crossovers. Um, and how does it stack up with, with other offerings like the, the, uh, the cruise eco and the, the um, you know, the higher economy version of the focus and, uh, where, where does the, the, um, the Elantra eco in, in a lot of ways, like, you know, com say, you know, compared to the Focus, for example, I actually, some aspects of this, I actually like better, you know, in the interior compared to the Focus, um, just because it's, it's a little bit cleaner, it seems less cluttered, 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, some, you know, some, a bit of the focus, um, you know, is almost a little bit over designed in its cabin, uh, in some respects. And, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with like, that. <laughs> I do, I do like the, uh, the way this thing is laid out. You know, the, the controls are all exactly where you expect them to be. You've got a rotary volume knob, you know, rotary knobs for the, the climate controls, um, you know, and, and just, you know, a bunch of, you know, just a couple of rows of, you know, pretty straightforward buttons for, you know, to switch it between ventilation and, and the automatic climate control and, you know, window defrosters and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's a good, honest car and it, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. So, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that I actually really appreciated about, uh, Hyundai over the last few years, uh, Hyundai and Kia, you know, their, their ergonomics are really well studied. Mm -hmm. Uh, their cars are easy to operate. Um, even, you know, their infotainment systems are pretty good and they, I, they don't get nearly as much praise for that as I, I feel like they, they should, cause they, that's really important. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think personally still my, probably my favorite, you know, compact car, you know, especially the, the interior in the cabin is still got to be the Mazda three. Yeah. Uh, you know, the current generation Mazda three is just, is just a fabulous car, you know, and it's, it, it you know, like the, the Elantra, it's not, um, you know, it's not cluttered. It doesn't have a whole lot of fancy stuff, uh, but you know, it's just really well executed and you know, excellent fit and finish and materials. And you know, the the fit and finish in this Elantra is great. You know, it's just the the materials. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look like something you would expect in say a thirty thousand dollar car. But then it doesn't cost thirty thousand dollars either. Right. You know, it, compared to you know. Um, an equivalent, you know, well, compared to an Elantra of 10 years ago, you know, it's miles ahead of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Elantra of 10 years ago is more like that Mitsubishi I was driving. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you, you're right. I mean, you know, Mitsubishi's, or uh, Mitsubishi, uh, Hyundai and Kia have both <laughs> made phenomenal progress over the last 10 years. And, I mean, you know, it's a good, you know, stylish car. You know, it's not, the, the, the design, you know, the current generation of, of Hyundai's, have kind of toned it down a little bit from the previous generation, um, but they're still really good looking. And, you know, they're, the packaging is excellent, you know, in terms of huge trunk space and, you know, su surprisingly roomy back seat, uh, you know, for a compact car. So, you know, I think there's also, you know, they've also got the Elantra GT hatchback, five-door hatchback uh, coming shortly. They were just doing some media drives with it a few weeks ago, and that should be hitting dealers pretty soon. Um, you know, so, you know, personally, you know, in a compact car, I prefer a hatchback, you know, having the ability to, you know, fold down the back seat and, you know, throw bigger stuff in there when I need to, uh, over a sedan. But, um, either way, you know, it's, it's, it's really a good car. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I, this is a great pivot to our news topics, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cause if you want an efficient hatchback from Hyundai, uh, you can get the Ionic, right? That's, that's right. You get you get you know. mul multiple choices. Um, yeah, so Hyundai is is about to launch. Uh, they've already launched it in South Korea, and they're about to launch here their first platform uh, vehicle platform that's dedicated as an electrified vehicle. So uh, what they have is uh, their their new car. Their new model is called the Ionic, uh, which when you see it, it's like hmm. That looks kind of like a Prius, except uh, better looking. You know, I mean, it's very much, you know, very similar shape to the Prius, you know, the Prius, that the Prius has had for the last couple of generations, uh, five-door, fastback, hatchback. 
And yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to do anything different. If like if aerodynamic optimization is your thing, and, like and that, there it is. That's exactly it. I was at a, a media briefing this morning at the Hyundai Tech Center here, just outside of Ann Arbor, and um, Dr. BK on uh, the director of powertrain development for their um, electrified vehicles uh, was speaking, and he, you know he talked about the shape. You know, he said, you know that that. If you're trying to get maximum aer- or you know optimum aerodynamics, you know I mean, based on that constraint, there's inherently going to be a certain shape that the car is going to take, and um, you know this one takes that that shape, you know just like the the Honda Insight did a few years back, and um, Priuses have done for the last decade. Um, you know you've got same kind of shape. Um, you know the detailing on this, you know, is very much in keeping with you know current um, Hyundai design themes. So it's 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 a good looking car. Uh, it is. It doesn't look anywhere near as weird as the Prius. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and especially the the current generation Prius. You know, it's yeah. definitely not uh, nothing outlandish about the design. Um, Although the you know, and you didn't get to drive this, but the no. the current the current gen Prius drives really really well. Oh, surprisingly yeah. I, great. I have driven the Prius. Um, yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's the Toyota made huge leaps in terms of driving dynamics on the new Prius. Um, still looks kind of weird. Uh, yes. And, you know, the, the Ionic drives are going to be happening shortly after the first of the year, I think. Um, but the what's what's really interesting about the Ionic is under the skin. So, you know, this is a car that's almost exactly the same size as the Elantra. Um, and for that matter, you know, same size as the Prius. I mean, you know, all of its dimensions are, you know, within an inch or two of the, the Prius. You know, same same wheelbase, 106.3 inches as the Prius. Um, so, but, um, what's, what they did with the platform, you know, it's not actually a shared platform with the Elantra, even though it's the same size, because what they've done is they've optimized this one for electrification and the Ionic, uh, is eventually going to be available by the, by next summer, by the end of next summer, it'll be available with three different powertrains, um, uh, a regular hybrid electric, uh, just like a Prius, a plug-in hybrid. And a battery, a full battery electric version, um, and actually the battery electric is going to be the first one to launch. Uh, it's it's going to be out. It's going to be on sale before the end of the year, um, and it's got a 28 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery, and uh, it's going to be rated at 124 miles of range, uh, which you know compared to a Chevy Bolt, uh, you know is only a little more than half of what the Bolt is capable of, uh, but it's it's definitely um, you know better than any of the the first generation uh, battery electrics that have been out since about 2010. And Hyundai has already said that they're already working on a larger battery version that will debut in 2018 uh, with a range of more than 200 miles. Yeah, well, and I think that there's a lot of hype, uh, a lot of sort of uh, false nervousness about you know that 120 something mile range or 110 mile range that they've got in their press release. Like that's even for me with a very long commute, like I could do a round trip commute every day with a 110 mile range. Now I'm sure that it drops significantly in, in colder weather. So, and and that's the key. I mean, that's, that's where, you know, the, the 200 mile threshold is kind of the, the key is, you know, when you get into cold weather States like Massachusetts or Michigan, you know, and your, your range drops by half in the winter time, uh, you know, even in worst case conditions with, with a car like the Bolt, you know, where you've got 238 mile 
nominal range under ideal conditions, even when it's 20 below zero, you're still going to have a good 130, 140 miles of range. And now at that point, you know, if you've got a, you know, 40 mile commute, you can still confidently make it, you know, to work and back without it. And, you know, maybe, you know, stop at the grocery store or stop to pick up the kids on the way home, uh, you know, without, without really thinking about it, without worrying, you know, trying to make sure that you can stop somewhere and get a charge during the day. Uh, You know, so it really kind of for, you know, everything but long distance drives, you know, kind of gets rid of the range anxiety problem. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea of like, yeah, I need a car to take me, you know, if I want to drive across the country, I want to, you know, one car to do it all. Like, I get the sentiment, but really, like, economically, like, if you need to do that kind of drive and you, you want to commit to an electric car for your daily driving chores, then just rent something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, so the uh, what, what's interesting, though, about the uh, battery version of the Ionic uh, you know, I mean, they've done a lot of things to to really optimize the efficiency, the energy efficiency of the thing. So it's actually rated at 136 miles per gallon equivalent, uh, which is the best of any electric car so far uh, by a pretty good margin. Uh, and you know, they, they've got thing, they've done things like they use a heat pump for the climate control system, which uses a lot less energy than the resistance heaters that uh, most EVs have. Um, I think one of, one of the only other EVs that has a heat pump system is the uh, Volkswagen e-Golf. Uh, so is, is it a straight heat pump or does it have like an electric element in it for like when it gets real cold? Like, you know, cause that's the issue with heat pumps is they've always been, they've been decent until the temperatures get, you know, real extreme. And then they, they just, you know, it's an air conditioner that works backwards and, yeah, <laughs> and you know, it's, they, um, they didn't get into too much detail on that. You know, they did say, yeah. you know, they did say that, you know, they've tested it at minus 20, minus 30 and uh, had no problems with it. So yeah, that, that's just me being an HVAC geek. I'm sorry. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the key, the key to, to heat pumps, you know, when I, um, when I tested the e-golf last year, um, you know, I tried it with the heat pump, you know, I actually had it uh, in the springtime, but what I did was I took it around my, my usual driving loop. And I cranked up, uh, you know, I rolled, I put the windows down and then cranked up the heat to maximum, you know, even though it was, you know, 70 degrees out, um, and, uh, drove it around, you know, around a, a 20 mile loop and then, um, measured the energy consumption. And it only, uh, it only dropped the, or only increased the energy consumption by about, uh, less than 15%. It's between 10 and 15%, which, you know, compared to a typical EV with a resistance heating system, you know, oh, yeah. would be, you know, 30 to 40% increase. Yeah. I mean, a, a re- yeah. A resistance heater just, just consumes so much current. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, that, that's impressive. Um, you know, the other, the other details of it seem pretty impressive too, like down to the, the way they've reduced friction with the lubricants and stuff like it's, it seems like a pretty holistic, uh, program they set off on to, to make the, uh, the Ionic, no matter what version you, you get, um, right. And pretty, so- pretty efficient. Yeah, so the the battery electric launches in December, um, and they're they're going to focus the, all their marketing on California and the other uh, uh, zero emissions vehicle mandate states that are following the California emissions rules. Uh, but it'll actually be available. You can you'll be able to buy it from any uh, Hyundai dealer nationwide, 
they just they probably you know most dealers outside of California and those other states probably won't have any in stock, so you may have to wait a couple of weeks to get it. Yeah, it's I mean that's smart for them, and you fish where the fish are. Right, um, and then uh, early in early in the new year, they're going to launch the hybrid version, the non-plug-in hybrid version, and that one has been officially rated at 58 miles per gallon, which is um, two miles per gallon better than the um, the Prius Eco and six miles per gallon better than the uh, the base Prius, the standard Prius, which is rated at 52 combined, and right, and that, that that's higher than any other car, like any other hybrid. Right, and vehicle. important thing to uh, keep in mind is that um, all of these Ionic um, ratings are like like other cars that have been coming out in the last uh, nine months or so. They're they're based on uh, new test procedures that the EPA imposed this year that are more stringent and you know designed to. They're still doing the same drive cycles, but the actual procedures and processes they use for the testing are, are a little bit different to try and make the results more consistent and more reflective of real-world performance and to avoid some of the issues they've had over the last few years uh, with cars having to be relabeled um, after they've been on the market for a while. So, uh, And what's happened with other cars, uh, you know, other manufacturers, when they've gone and done, redone their testing for 2017 is they've, in most cases, they've seen anywhere from one to three mile per gallon drops in their label values, their, their fuel economy labels. Um, and so the Prius has not gone through those new tests yet. Uh, so it'll probably drop uh, a little bit from the 52 and, 50, and 56 ratings it has right now. Uh, so that'll open up the gap even more to for the Ionic. Well, that's so you're going to be able to drive this soon. So that's exciting. Um, and, you know, overall, like I'm reading the press release now. And of course, it makes it sound fantastic because that's what press releases do. <laughs> um, but, you know, overall, it looks like a really impressive alternative to the Prius. It looks a lot, you know, a lot less weird if you're not looking to make that weird car statement that the Prius can stand for. You know, it, right. It, but it does. It still, you know, it still stands out from the rest of the Hyundai lineup. You know, when you look at, you know any of the three variants the hybrid the plug-in hybrid or the battery electric you know it's it doesn't have the weird of the prius but it's it also still stands apart you know so for those you know there's a lot of customers that buy hybrids and battery electrics you know that they want to make a statement uh, yeah and so you know they're they're still gonna have you know when you see an ionic you know I mean, once it's been on the road for a while and people know what it is they'll know hey oh that's a that's a really efficient vehicle uh, so you'll have you'll have something that's that's unique from the rest of the Hyundai lineup. Yeah, I mean it just it reminds me of a Saab. I'm looking at the side profile. It reminds yeah. me of a Saab 900. And then and then if actually if you want less even less unique than that, um, Kia is going to offer a car based on the, with the same platform, same all the same powertrains, uh, but it, theirs is actually a crossover called the Nero. So they have oh yeah the Nero, which is it's an ionic, but in a crossover body. And actually, actually, that that one is a super smart move for them because you know crossovers are obviously hot, and and compact crossovers, uh, as well. Like that's, yeah, I'm really interested to see what these cars do in the marketplace. Um, yeah, me too. You know, I mean, especially the crossover, especially the Nero, because nobody's really offering that kind of thing, um, other than than Kia at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's some there's some regular hybrid crossovers like uh, Toyota's got the Rav4 hybrid now, um, and there's there's a couple others out there. But yeah, there, there's nothing that's you know a plug-in hybrid um, or battery electric that's 
you know that's also in this price range and that's that's the other thing we'll probably right. hear the the pricing is probably for the uh the ionic and i would guess maybe the nero as well it's going to be announced next week at the la auto show well we'll keep an eye on that and the, you know let's let's stay on the efficient car thing um but let's go to the completely other extreme um <laughs> And and now I I, I want to temper this story because uh, it came from Autocar, and uh, there's not a ton of detail. And Autocar has this history of just kind of making stuff up. Too, I, you yeah, know, like, in, in this case, I think they're probably I think they're probably right. Um, yeah, and all right. Yeah, the the brand we're talking about here is Ferrari. Right. So Sergio Marchionne has said that, uh, A, they want to increase production of Ferraris to 10,000 per year. Um, yeah, which, and I'm sure uh, Pete DiLorenzo will be absolutely thrilled to hear that. Yeah. Um, it's, for me, like that, the initial thought is like, well, does that make the cars less special uh, or at least less rare? Yeah, probably, but I think it also makes Ferrari's profit better. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's the only reason to... Uh, to raise the production volume that high. Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing they're going to do is that they are, he's, he hasn't really committed to it. Uh, but he said, you know, things look good to be all, all electric or all hybrid by, uh, 2025, something like that. Um, uh, actually 2019, 2019 or 2020. Yeah. All right. So for me, and I know there's a lot of cars in that realm, or at least there's there's been some movement toward that kind of thing, or a hybrid. You know, you've got the NSX. You, you know, there was the the Porsche, um, the 918. Yeah, the LaFerrari, of course. Yeah, I just is that the type of Ferrari that excites you? The LaFerrari. Just just a hybrid Ferrari. Does that really? Um, you know, I think it depends on how they do it. You know, if if you incorporate some uh, hybridization into the powertrain and do it in a way where it's fairly seamless and transparent and doesn't, I mean, I think you can do it without changing the the inherent character of a Ferrari, you know, um, you know, to basically, you know, do some uh, energy recovery, you know, have, you have some, you know, like they do on F1 cars, you know, have some, have the kinetic energy recovery and, and probably, uh, you know, maybe some um, heat energy recovery. You know, there's things you can do to make it more efficient without really changing the the base character. You know, so you would, you know, it would it would let you probably downsize the engine a little bit, but you know, you're probably still going to have you know turbocharged V8s in there like you've got in the 488 today, and and V12s. You know, definitely going to have definitely going to have V12s. You know, in future Ferraris, you're um, just adding getting some, an extra boost of performance and efficiency at the same time from adding an electric motor in there. All right. Well, you're making me feel better about it. Cause I was just thinking, you know, like I, I can't, I really can't express how little interest I have in the idea of it at first, but then, you know, also I don't really have a whole lot of interest in Ferraris and then supercars on their own, um, you know, beyond the oddballs, you know, the old stuff and the, the GT Ferraris, you know, the front engine Ferraris. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what is it? What does it turn Ferrari into when you know? Because they're for so long, their their engineering, especially their their engines, have been one of their real calling cards. And when you if if they go all electric, 
which is you know I, I, they're gonna go hybrid first yeah i i can't see them going all electric anytime in the foreseeable future yeah um you know i think uh, well i guess you know i could see them maybe doing one model that's all electric but i can't see them taking the whole i mean right. it just it would destroy the again you know talking about honest cars you know an electric uh, an all electric ferrari just doesn't seem like it would be a ferrari you know well you know like that sound you know it's just right but then then think about it because this is this is where i'm at like no it just changes the definition of what it means to be a ferrari and and so that's the the, it becomes more about the packaging (laughs) than it does about the powertrain if you change the definition then is it really a ferrari well sure it is i mean so i i Really? It's not a it, it well yeah, it's not it's not the classical definition of a Ferrari, but then again like, you know, you, Well, it's, I mean it's you, at that point it's something else. That doesn't make it any that doesn't make it bad. It's just not a Ferrari. No, it's the it's it's what modern Look, I mean, you have an iPhone, right? No, I have an Android. Oh no, damn it. You have a MacBook Pro, right? Not anymore. I'm <laughs> working on a Windows machine now. <laughs> damn it. Um, okay, so you have a Windows machine, right? How does that relate to uh you know the the original PC? You know the 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 8086 powered, you know, IBM PC. It doesn't, <laughs> right? I mean other than the fact that I've got a QWERTY keyboard here and a and a screen. Um, right. So your your interface is the same. Yeah, you know, electric Ferrari's going to have a steering wheel and a windshield. <laughs> you know? Until, we, until it goes autonomous. Yeah, I guess. Like I so I I do like to me it's not what I'm interested in a Ferrari, but then again, it'll be this new thing that, that could be very interesting all on its own. Um, or it could just be a really expensive, pretty gadget. And you know, that's kind of what Ferraris are now. They like, they certainly perform really well, but a lot of them get parked a lot. They don't really get driven yeah. that much. Well, I, 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 guess, that... I guess my, my feeling on it would be that, you know, when we get to that point, you know, maybe we need to just retire the Ferrari brand. You know, just, I, just let it go. I, no, that has so much fashion cachet. Like that's that's total fashion brand. Like you, can, well, you. I mean, I, I guess you know, as a, as a purist, you know, I I would like to. I, my preference would be at that point move on to something else. You know, because I I guess for me, you know, a, a brand represents something. You know, regardless of what kind of product it is, you know, a brand has rep, has some. It represents something tangible and you know to me a ferrari is is something that looks amazing goes really fast and makes an incredible sound you know it's a it's a visceral experience to drive a car like that yeah and you know there's and there's all these elements that come together to create that experience ah but see that's see now now you're getting what what sort of my underlying impression of ferrari like yes it does all those things but the way it does it, the clever engineering that is is under. I mean, nobody engineers cars like Ferrari, except for Ferrari. Like they're they're just. I don't know. Is it really all that clever? You know, all that unique in its engineering from any any number of other cars. I mean, I mean maybe the gap has closed now, but or or an Audi R8 or, you know, I, I think to me it seems like there's more clever engineering, you know, in a in a Acura NSX or Honda NSX than there is in a Ferrari. Uh, yeah, so uh, again, like maybe the gap has closed now, but 
in general, like my broad strokes opinion of Ferrari has been that engineering has always been the way that they deliver and, and they've always done it in a particular way. And, and whether they're burning, you know, dead dinosaurs or, uh, you know, they're, they're transferring electrons, uh, they're still going to do it a Ferrari way. Okay. So um, what about, what about when we get to autonomous? I mean, is that still, I mean, can you? Oh no! Then that's just a, it's a Ferrari. No, it's a handbag with wheels. Like it's whatever. Right. <laughs> you, we. I think we're all pretty clear on my stance. Huh? So it's an Hermes car. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? Like that's that's fine. Hermes makes really beautiful things. I mean, Ferrari interiors are you know often very finely crafted. Um, nobody's gonna argue with that. But it, 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 like I said, it becomes it becomes a fashion brand at that point because that's that's really it's a fashion transport pod and that's that's okay like it's just not okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, the brand discussion brings up an, another interesting uh, point. Another good press at release way stuff. Oh, getting there. Um, a press release landed in my inbox and probably yours uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, announcing the the impending revival of cord now now there uh, there's a brand with some interesting engineering innovation yeah absolutely so a couple of things um this is possible now um more than than it happened before there there were cord revivals to a degree uh in the past um but right now the the laws are such that uh you know cars need to be crash tested and emissions tested and all of those things uh so there's a new it came out in 2015 the low volume motor vehicle manufacturers act uh, makes it a bit easier for these types of revivals. Um, and, and cord, like let's, some people may not remember cord. Uh, <laughs> and if you've uh, been to a classic car show, you know, like especially a concours, you've almost certainly seen one. Yeah. At a, at a concours, you've definitely like, they're, they're there, the cord Auburn and Duesenberg were, you know, three, three big brands that were really, uh, iconic. And they were, I think are all out of Indiana. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, at, at some point they were all owned by the Duesenberg brothers. Right. Uh, so all three of those companies also expired uh, before World War II. Uh, they were, yep. they were impressive for their time. Uh, chords were beautifully styled, like art deco of their time. Just, just a gorgeous car. Uh, and they were impressively engineered. They were front wheel drive. They had a big Lycoming eight cylinder, I think, uh, full of, innovation very powerful very stylish but the first cars with hidden headlamps like pop-up headlamps and yeah um and like here's where i have an issue with this sort of thing like nobody who's very active in the hobby has any recollection of cord in its prime uh they've always been a thing on a shelf Mm -hmm. you know And, and so is that where is that where the gas ferraris are going (laughs) is 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 a thing on a shelf, um, you know, and so I don't know. Like to me, I'm equating like a Cord or a Duesenberg or, or you know an Auburn with like it's very much like a classic classic wooden yacht, like something like an yeah. Elko or something from the same time. Like a younger person can appreciate it. You can pick up curation of it because essentially, like that car is 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 the same as like a famous work of art. Um, you know, you you curate it while you own it. Um, and then you, you pass it on. Um, and, and like, 
they've been a collector car for so long that people who cherish them are are fading away themselves. I I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't you know, know the, Sam. The, the brand, I, I really don't think like your years, son. son. Yeah, I don't I don't think your son is going to have the same kind of uh, appreciation of of Cord. I, I mean, I'm sure it's neat, but I, I don't know that anybody's is really going to pick up the mantle of these things. Yeah, I, I guess you know I'm sure there's there's probably a a handful of people out there that would want one that you know maybe you know i mean they're they're rare enough today that you know they're they're hard to come by hard hard to find and you know to buy one and i'm i'm guessing that um you know if they start building these again you know they will be built using a lot of modern mechanicals under the excuse me under yeah. the skin and you know so it'll look like a 1930s era cord you know like an 810 or an 812 but it, you know it, it's you know kind of a resto mod kind of thing you know modern mechanical bits modern brakes and engines you know with classic styling which and that's that's okay yeah there's nothing yeah. wrong with that yeah. you know if, there, um, if there's if there's somebody willing to pay for it i say go for it yeah, yeah and it, you know what honestly it's honestly, it's also it's probably cheaper than uh like a, i did a quick look through hemmings um a legit cord is going to cost you a hundred to a couple hundred thousand dollars oh yeah at least um, yeah, and you know uh, some you know some of the really good ones that you that you find at the concours are probably a lot more than that. Yeah, so <laughs> those have the prices where they say inquire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the interesting thing about that uh, low volume manufacturing thing, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, that's very much. You know, they have a something very similar to that in uh, in the UK. Uh, you know, they call it the single single vehicle type approval. Yeah, so basically, you can build one-off cars or or near one-off cars, and you can, you know, with the low-volume manufacturing rules, you don't have to go through crash testing and all the emissions certification and everything. You can, you know, just build a limited number of vehicles and and sell them, um, and that's that's what they do in the UK. You know, so you you find these really oddball cars in the UK, like there there's a lot of, uh, you know, track cars. You know, they're basically race cars. That yeah. you know the 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 regulations for the, under the single vehicle type approval. You know, basically, if you put some headlights on it and um, uh, windshield wiper uh, and and you know brake lights, you're pretty much good to go. Uh, and then I think if it's an open wheel car, you've got to put some uh, some fender skirts on. You know, some you know like some cycle fenders. fenders. Yeah, cycle fenders yeah. on it. Uh, so I don't know if you remember uh, about two or three years ago. Um, Ford actually took uh, they took a Formula Ford car. You know they were promoting their one liter EcoBoost three cylinder, and they took a Formula Ford car uh, and put uh, the one liter EcoBoost in there, and then you know put some LED lamps on it on the front and back and some cycle fenders on it, and basically made a road legal, you know Formula Ford uh, with this with this three cylinder turbo in it um, just to promote this engine. Yeah, and it was perfectly legal in the UK. And you know, there, uh, Lotus has offered some of these at various points. You know, and some various models that were, um, you know, technically you know race cars, but they uh, they they you know went through the type of single vehicle type approval process and sold a handful of them. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's you know, the Cord itself is is really neat. Um, but it brings up a larger question to me too. Uh, you know, in this one instance, yeah, probably it's going to make it easier to own a car that looks like that car that you've, you know, you've always thought you'd like to, to own. Um, the problem is like, 
because they're they're so rare and they're priceless, um, it's it's not going to be the same thing. You know, it's not going to have that Lycoming engine. It's it's not going to have that front wheel drive pre-selector transmission. It's going to be you know basically like just driving any modern car. So to me, that takes all the charm out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all the real interest, like because like the way they operated and the just the difficulty, it really gives you an appreciation for what they did when they did it. Um, and so I, you know, yes, you get the style, you get the feel of it. If that's what you're interested in, that's cool. But you know, this this kind of thing comes up over and over again too. Like, there's always this uh, cycle of like, hey, Packard's coming back, and you see these like horrible renderings, <laughs> and you're like, oh man, you know, upright tombstone shaped grills on you know swoopy bodies, and you're just like, that that's just not right. Yeah, no, I, I um, agree. I mean, I, you know, I think one of the one of the rare exceptions, you know, to to some of that, you know, is you know, things like some of the um, the Cobra replicas. Uh, yeah. Or even, you know, some of the Porsche 356 replicas, you know, which, you know, are typically much closer to the original, you know, in, in terms of their character and the way they drive and the mechanicals than um, than what you would get, you know, for, you know, some of these Packards or, or Accord. So I guess, you know, it depends on how you do it. But I mean, it's, it's obviously never going to be the real thing. But so and it's weird, too, like. So all the examples we just pointed out, like the the cords of pre-war, um, the the three fifty six is the fifties, fifties until three fifty six was built to what sixty four, something like that. Um, Cobras, that's mid sixties. That's like that's where all the heat is right now in the collector car market. Um, and like those are the cars that I've been seeing for the last thirty five years, <laughs> car right. shows, like. Uh, you know, car shows they continue to be sock hops, and that's very weird. <laughs> you know, like when does that when does that shift? And if you really wanted to, like, uh, this is not how I would bring back these these brands. Like the people who even remember even something like Packard, which uh, or, or Studebaker, right? If you wanted to bring back Studebaker, besides the terrible Avantis, um, that were built on like F bodies, uh, uh, the I, you know, the way I would do that is you got to make it, you have to make it relevant to more than just the people that, uh, that remember it. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of like getting distracted with picking up all these, these retro elements versus like understanding the ethos of what those companies are trying to do. Like, I would love to see somebody try to relaunch Packard. Packard made like the world class automobile, luxury automobile. Like we say things are the Cadillac of things. Like, no, no, no. The Packard of things is much more like it uh and if you if you understand the ethos and you forget the physical then you can actually like relaunch that brand in a modern day like you know the way mercedes does maybach is much closer to the way uh you or or, or even the way bmw uh does rolls royce Mm -hmm. is the way you should relaunch these brands and maybe i'm i'm you know sort of thinking of it from a marketer's perspective but uh, versus making something that's like essentially a novelty. I I don't know. Like if you're serious yeah, about it, yeah. You, I mean, you, you take you know take the you know you want to make it you know going back to the beginning of this show you know you, you want to make it something honest to what the brand represented in its heyday, you know. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it it has to be an exact copy of that. You know, you want right. you know, if you're going to relaunch Cord, you know, take 
you know, do some real engineering innovations, you know, come up with something really original, you know, right. and, you know, maybe you incorporate a few design cues, you know, but in a, in a, in a new original kind of way. Uh, yeah, that solves, solves uh, the problem I think, today. You I think, know? you know, like the, you know, Rolls Royce is a, is a good example there. Um, or, you know, even Bentley. Uh, but, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure, you know, how, how you would really do that with, with a brand like Cord. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe you do it electric. You yeah, you'd have to do a lot of research, I think, about El Cord the man and his motivations, and you know the the organization, and really, again, understanding those motivations and seeing you know what were you trying to do, and how does that match up with you know what we're trying to do here, um, or you could just completely co-opt it and you know, like yeah. make that premium retro story that everybody loves. Um, I don't know. We're not going to solve this now. So we should just talk about something else. And okay. so, you know, peak auto industry, uh, you you shared a link with me uh, from the drive. You know, Toyota, Nissan both uh, think that they their U.S. car sales have peaked. And I tend to not disagree with that. Uh, I think that, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen, auto, you know, sales rates that are just, they're astronomically high. And I don't think they're going to stay that high for that much longer. No, I agree. You know, and I think... Uh, you know, my my day job as an analyst with Navigant Research, you know, one of the things we do is we forecast uh, things like, you know, how how, how the markets are going to go, how big markets for various, for ve different vehicles and, and different technologies are going to go. And, you know, our forecast for uh, light vehicle sales, light duty vehicle sales, you know, for North America, you know, we're you know, we only project uh, less than 1% growth rate over the next decade, you know, a a annual growth rate over the next decade. Yeah. Even that might be optimistic. Uh, we probably, you know, I think, you know, in the, in the course of the next decade, we'll probably see a number of down years, you know, and it'll probably bounce back up a bit, you know, so overall, you know, it'll probably average out to, you know, flat to maybe just slightly growing uh, over the course of the next decade. But yeah, I totally agree with, with what Toyota and Nissan are saying that um, certainly if not the, the market as a whole, I think, you know, the car sales, at least for the foreseeable future have probably peaked, you know, especially, you know, given the way that, uh, you know, the, the, the market has changed. Uh, when you say cars, you mean like I'm sedans, passenger cars. Yeah. So sedans and hatchbacks um, as opposed but, to SUVs and crossovers and, right. and trucks. Cause that's, yeah, that's where the growth is right now. But so like, it's a little crazy to me to hear them say like like Nissan's like there's no more room for growth in America. But then again, it seems logical at a certain point. Like it it can't continue to go up and up and up and up. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got you've got the fundamental problem of you know the way that we build cars today. Cars have gotten so much better than they were 25, 35, 45 years ago. You know, the average age of cars on the road in the U.S. today is 11 and a half years. You know, we've got 230. 240 million cars on the road in this country right now. You know, so I know I sit many, behind all of them in Boston traffic. Yeah. How, <laughs> you know, how many, how many more cars do we need? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, a certain number of cars that, you know, get crashed and scrapped and, you know, just plain worn out every year. So, I mean, there, there's, there's bound, there's going to be some inherent turnover, but eventually you're, you're going to hit a peak. And, you know, especially, you know, if you look out, you know, into the 2020s and beyond, you know, as we start, 
in urban areas, you know, shifting, you know, as we talked about last time, um, you know, moving towards mobility services and, you know, autonomous vehicles, you know, with mobility services, uh, you know, the, there's, there's going to be a, eventually a decline in vehicle sales. You know, the, the degree of that decline is, is open to some debate, you know, cause it depends on how, um, you know, how many more, you know, when you've got autonomous vehicles, you know, a lot of, you enable mobility for a lot of people who can't drive today. So there's going to be actually some increased demand for vehicles. Um, so, you know, I'm, we're inclined to think that, you know, the, the decline is not going to be as huge as some projections that say, you know, sales are going to drop by 90%. Um, yes, I don't think it's going to be that big, but, you know, eventually they are going to decline and it's probably going to be in the order of, you know, 20, 30, maybe 40%. Uh, but that's, you know, that's not going to be until the 2030s and beyond. But that doesn't mean that there's not still a good business. Like, Oh, no, absolutely. There's, you know, that, that's, it's funny. Like, just because there's not growth, that just means that it's, it's matured. At least yeah. at this point, the segment is matured and you've got steady volume and that's, that's okay. You're always going to have X amount of sales. You structure your business to, to survive on that, you know, that amount of, of the pie. And I think part of that is why. Uh, automakers are rushing to find other things to be involved in. Right. Um, that's why they. That's why they all want to, you know, get into ride hailing and, you know, actually providing those mobility services. Yeah, I, I mean, and it, it makes makes perfect sense. I I also think that, and and you know, maybe this is something you guys have looked at too. Is like, it's probably going to trigger, and you know, once it really flattens out, we're going to see another wave of consolidation. Like things are so tenuous oh, yeah. now. And that's, that's the other thing, you know, that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's still a good business. I mean, you know, you're selling 16, 17, 18 million cars a year. That's a, that's a lot of revenue. It's a hell of a lot more revenue than most industries, you know, on yeah. an annual basis. But if it, you know, if, if the market is not growing significantly, you know, we've got more and more players that want to get into this market. You know, you got companies like Tesla that want to grow and you've got, Startups like Faraday Future and and Lucid Motors that want to get into this business and um, you know Chinese companies that that want to come in here uh, you know that means you know more more people that want a piece of the pie that's not getting any bigger and will eventually shrink um, that that's going to put downward pressure on on profitability. Yeah, so my my guess would be that you'd start to see some of the with the influx of new lower cost players. Um, you're going to see some of the the historical smaller brands. You know, it's going to it's really going to squeeze companies like Mazda. They're uh, independent yeah. and they're small. Mazda and Mitsubishi and you know some some companies uh, like Subaru. You know that have a, a nice solid niche and they're content. You know to you know get some you know small but steady growth. Um, you know they'll they'll probably do okay. But you know some of these other and even some of the bigger companies like Fiat Chrysler you know, are facing some serious problems going forward. I, Fiat Chrysler, I, I worry about them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I, I like, I, you know, I'm a big Mopar fan for a long time. Um, I don't, I don't really get what's going on over there. <laughs> like, um, their, their product mix is, is weird. They're it basically just kind of like, yeah, a Jeep, Jeep runs the business and then on Ram. They're focusing on the products that have the highest margins, you know, and, and, you know, when you've got, you know, everybody rushing away from cars into utilities and trucks, you know, the cars have no margin. Uh, yeah, I, so I get that. That's why they're focusing on Jeep and focusing on Ram. 
Yeah, I that's I I understand that, but then like they have nothing else. I mean, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but you know the three hundred is ancient at this point. In the, it's going to be around. I, guess I saw a report probably till at least twenty twenty. Um, and it, I mean it's a good car. It's just I'm astounded like by how old that that car is. It, it drives well still, but really, you think people are still going to have an appetite for that car after so long? They've done an amazing job of keeping it fresh and relevant. Um, so I mean, if, more power to them. But th- that seems like a very long time <laughs> yeah, and, on the market. Know, I mean, and they, you know, they recognize the, the problems they've got. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why Marchione has been rushing around for the last two years, trying to find somebody to partner with. That's why he was pushing so hard for, for GM to merge with him. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, I don't know. They, know they... It's, you know, they've got problems that, you know, so far nobody else wants to take on. So, I mean, when you start to think about who's going to drop out, when uh the competition tightens up and the 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 volume drops you know they're they're a big long-term established player but i mean you could once again see chrysler just sort of you know being pieces of it being sold off and the the important scraps like jeep Uh sticking around um with some other brand like i know it's gonna be an interesting few years um so yeah yeah, who knows we won't talk about the other interesting stuff tonight no no those (laughs) Um, I'm just, I, I will find my happy place. Okay. I, it's, it's a big country. There's plenty of room for lots and lots of, of, uh, different opinions and we'll certainly hear about them. And, and we, and we've got plenty of them. <laughs> yes, between, exactly. Between the two of us, we've got lots of opinions. Uh, yeah. We're happy absolutely. to share them. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, I, we have, uh, killed another podcast. Hey, Episode two, we've made cars. it to two. Huh? I said, I was just talking about cars. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> um, so we didn't have any uh, email feedback, but if you do have email feedback, it is... Uh, let's see, it is cast at gmail.com. I was flipping to the page. I have it written down in my and, notebook. Yes, we'll, and wheelbearingscast the, the gmail. The show oh, is now and, in the iTunes store uh, yep. and also in uh, Google Play Music. So if you use Google Play to listen to uh, podcasts, it's in there. And within the next few days, probably it'll be on uh, TuneIn Radio as well. Uh, yep. And uh, you can always take the the basic feed and drop it into your podcast player of choice. Um, all those links are on the site at wheelbearings.media. Um, just click on the uh, subscribe to the podcast tab at the top, and uh, you'll you'll find all the links there. Um, and please tell all your friends, and you know, go into. Uh, Google Play and iTunes and wherever else and rate the show and give us reviews and give us some feedback. Yeah. I mean, we've had, we have had some feedback on Twitter, which I've uh, abstained from the last couple of days, but I did see um, that uh, somebody tweeted at, at you. Uh, you are at Sam Abbasamid and I am at Boston underscore auto. So you can catch us there. Um, so we're, we're around and we're looking for feedback. We will fine tune the whole presentation, this, the website and, and the, the RSS feeds and all that. Um, but we wanted to get the, the podcast out. And uh, so far, I've been having a great time doing it. I hope that uh, it's been well received and we'll, we'll, we'll keep at it because uh, it's, it's fun. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you again next week uh, after the LA Auto Show. I'll be out in LA next week. Uh, so if you see me around the LA Convention Center, say hi, uh, if you know what I look like. 
and uh <laughs> we'll put mug shots on the side <laughs> uh, you can it's not that hard to figure out what i look like if you look around just you know google google's your friend yeah i i, I will take the attack of being an international man of mystery um <laughs> but uh yeah yeah dan uh, so anyway leaves the greater boston area correct i'm in my hovel <laughs> oh this this i'm off the grit no i'm not uh but anyway uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you get to bed because you have the thing to go to uh, with Borg Warner, so that'll be cool to talk about next week, and uh, we'll catch everybody uh, next time. All right. Good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.